Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Soprano. We're pumped to spend some time with our friend, heck, he's the friend of everybody in this business, Monroe Miller. Monroe recently completed his last regular article for Golf Course Industry, and he's going to talk about the article and why he picked the subject that he did for the article. Monroe is a legendary figure throughout the industry and especially in his native Wisconsin, where he worked for his entire career. And a few things stick out with Monroe, but to me, his positivity, optimism, and passion are incredible. And they are three major reasons why he was able to work 36 years at Blackhawk Country Club in Madison, Wisconsin. So we hope you enjoy hearing from Monroe, and we hope you've enjoyed the number of invaluable contributions he's made to the industry over the years. Monroe, thank you so much for joining us. This is a bit bittersweet having you on the podcast. We're excited to talk to you, but we're also sad that you have just recently completed your last regular piece for Golf Course Industry. First thing, Monroe, just talk about what you wrote about for our December Turf Heads issue and how that idea came to your head. Well, the idea came to my head when I'm during the uh, U.S. Open at Erin Hills, not too far from Madison, actually, an hour, hour away. And I had lunch with uh, Bob Vavrick, our green section agronomist, and Kim Arusha. And I've known Kim for years, quite a few years. And she came to the, we we had lunch in the USGA tent. She came to the table, sort of disheveled, had her hair kind of combed back and had a, what I would have called a barrette to keep it out of her eyes. And I thought, wow, I'm impressed. This this person's been out working. And I guess I'm wanted to write a story about her because I've no, known a number of the previous green section directors. Bill Benjafield, I think he had a Ph.D., Al Radko, Jim Snow, James T. Snow, T is for Taft, and he was interested in, in uh, presidential genealogy because he's related to the Tafts. My first name was my mother's maiden name, and we have uh, a very easily traced relationship to President James Monroe, so Jim and I always had a lot to talk about. I've been on the green section for, I don't know, 30 years. And so I, I've gotten to know Kim over the years, and I, a lot of people don't know about her. And so that's when it occurred to me if, that I, somebody should find out about her background and her attitudes and what a really great person she is, what a smart person she is. And so I asked her at that table if, if I could do that, if I wrote, could write that story. And so she said, sure. I... Uh, Called her up just like we're doing now, chatted for a while, took uh, took notes, didn't record anything, but took notes, and um, wrote the story, and you have it. She sent me some pictures, and I think it's just a fascinating story, and she's got uh, quite a pedigree, and her, her turf family tree is totally impressive, and I think most importantly, uh, her concern for and work for the uh, people in the field has been outstanding. So that's the reason I wrote it, and I thought, wow, this would be a great way to, to wind up. I'm kind of separated from all of my activities. I'm 71, so you got to give it up sometime. And one of the things I was doing regularly was writing that column for GCI, which was a wonderful opportunity for me. And uh, I've cut that off. I've just about eliminated everything else. I'm a volunteer for a couple of things, but uh, I wanted to write the story about uh, Dr. Kimarusha because of her work with the Green Section. Monroe, how important are organizations like the USGA, Green Section, local chapters, state chapters, national chapters? How, how important are they, and how did they contribute to 
your success and longevity having good relationships with those groups? Well, I guess you could say I'm an activist. I always have been. So um, I found them to be almost invaluable in terms of getting to know people in the business, who to call when you have a problem, uh, the educational aspects of all of them in uh, USGA and GCSA and our own WGCSA. I think you should include there also your land-grant university because then when the, the problems are really serious, you can always call an extension scientist from your land-grant college and usually get some help. So it was this, those things should always be a two-way street. I had the interest and the ability. huge uh, factor to consider is an understanding wife who sees that it's something I had to do. I had my nose stuck in so many things over the years. And she was always very patient, very supportive. That was important. I think that uh, um, it's not only making friends and getting to know people, but it's it's finding rewards in the profession other than what you may get when you're mowing a fairway or getting a green or completing a, a remodeling project. It's the literature, the, the, the architects, it's the courses themselves. There's just so much in golf and being part of these organizations only enhance that experience. Whenever I would travel, I always took my GCSAA directory with me because I knew if I got in trouble somewhere, whatever that trouble might be, I usually think of vehicle trouble, um, I'd call a superintendent. It was like having a close friend, and that was true all over the country. Uh, and, in fact, oh, it was a number of years ago, I went to Milwaukee, the alternator, and my truck went out, so I got a directory called Jerry Krzyzewski, superintendent, Westmore Country Club. He happened to be not far from where I was at in Milwaukee, came and got me. We went to his house, drank coffee, uh, Ford dealer went, got my truck, fixed it, and I was on my way. So that's a result of involvement. I think it's rewarding personally. Uh, these, these organizations, you get the chance to do things for which you can see results. And I'm thinking of we raised... We, we built a research farm. You, you've been there. And that was an effort from those in the field. And somebody had to know who to ask for money and how much to ask for and how much to spend and how to arrange the thing. And that, that is just, that's just one example. So I found it entirely rewarding and beneficial. And selfishly, it's, it's just been wonderful for me. How does somebody develop those relationships? Is it something that you made time for? It was part of your routine, or do you have to have a certain type of personality to develop and maximize those relationships? Well, probably both, actually. I always had a hankering for this sort of a thing, being involved in organizations, clear back to high school and then in the university when I went to University of Wisconsin here. So I think it's part of your personality and we all have a lot of free time, and I never owned a boat, a snowmobile. Um, I don't play golf. Uh, I don't play softball. Uh, my hobbies almost were my activities. And so I was, and I had a capacity for spending a lot of time on it at, at, in off hours at home at night and this sort of a thing. Back in the days, even when everything was snail mail, there was no electronic uh, communication. So I think. Uh, it, it, it's probably both. You're, you, you have to have the personality for it. But these organizations are mostly crying for people to become involved. So it's, it's very easy. It doesn't matter what it is, what, what the organization may be. It could be like the VFW, which I'm now a, a member of. Same 
and the same sort of things apply. Do you feel like those relationships contributed to your longevity? You were at Blackhawk for, what, 36 years years as a superintendent. Do you feel like you would have had that run if you didn't have the type of relationships you had in the business? Uh, Hard to say. Um, In my my generation, my family, siblings and and ancestors, you didn't do a lot of job switching. So it sort of has been uh, in my personality. When you have something that you like, you stick with it and try to make it better. I, I think certainly those relationships helped me a lot of different times, but I also had that notion that gee, you got a job you like and you like the town you live in. This town or this part is, is for me, it's the most perfect place on earth. There are two times I was invited to interview for jobs, and one of them I accepted, and the other one I interviewed it for, but then declined any interest in it. And the second one I didn't even bother with because I'm just where I should be. And I couldn't be happier with my life and how I was going and where my kids were going to school and the communities that we lived in and the activities that were available. So I had less of a inclination to um, do anything than just stay put. I worked hard to make sure that uh, people I was working for were satisfied or more than satisfied. And the result is... uh, all of those years at the same place. Yeah, and I can vouch for what Monroe just said. Madison is one of the most wonderful places in the United States. And one of the the perks of being in Madison, Monroe, is that you were in the same town as the University of Wisconsin. What was it like establishing a relationship with the professors there? And what differences have you noticed in how young turf professionals are educated now compared to when you, you were going to school there? Well, the graduated the University of Wisconsin-Madison, so was my father. When I came back from the service, my wife and I lived in graduate student housing, which is called Eagle Heights. And we would get on our bikes, had a, one of them had a little girl, uh, had a baby seat in the back of the bike. Nobody wore a helmet or anything, could have killed a poor kid, I suppose. But we would bike from Eagle Heights to Sherwood Hills, which is right next door, a, a small community. Uh, you could, you can't tell it from Madison, but uh, a lot of faculty live there. And we would bike up to the top of the hill, promontory overlooking Lake Mendota. And I would, we'd stop and enjoy the view and think, man, some lucky guy's a superintendent here. And lo and behold, uh, the job happened to open, and Professor Love recommended me, and I got that job. So the university, university gave me the education. Uh, I majored in turf. I was a four years as an undergraduate, two years as a graduate student. So I was well-educated, and it was my alma mater. For my office, I could be on campus, well, if I took a vehicle, it would be five minutes. Uh, you could ride the bus, or you could ride a bike, or you could even walk. It's very close. A lot of faculty are members. So the university helped me in that way, but the main thing it did was... Uh, give me the background, the scientific background, the, the kind of logical thinking that you get in that kind of an education uh, that um, made problem solving a lot easier. Also, most, a lot of the people I worked for were either, on, were either faculty members or also graduates. And so if you're a superintendent, it's kind of nice if you can talk business with a business 
in, or you can talk uh, uh, philosophy with a professor in that department, and those are some of the side benefits. I think now it's the undergraduate program at Wisconsin has shrunk dramatically. I think it has a lot of different places. I can't say everywhere, but a lot of different places. It's gotten so expensive to attend. And if you get a four-year degree in uh, civil engineering, UW-Madison, you might go out and get a job starting out at 75000 If you get a degree in turf from UW-Madison, you might go out as somebody's assistant or second assistant or spray tech for 25000 So kids work for money, and it's pretty easy to see that there are more lucrative professions than turf. The other thing is it's gotten so difficult to um, get accepted. Uh, a lot of kids uh, that are uh, able to get into the University of Wisconsin are not interested in, in turf. What, what I think has happened is that the graduate program is strengthened. There's uh, there the two-year programs the, in our town of MATC, uh, Madison Area Technical College. There's a lot of those that are doing the job that used to be done with uh, people getting a four-year degree. I think there used to be 25, 30 undergraduates there, and it's significantly less than that right now. It's kind of sad in the one way, but that's, that's the way it goes. It's change. You grew up working on a dairy farm, and then you had a incredibly rewarding and fulfilling career in turf. Do you feel like that people aren't going to have the same opportunities you had? And what, what do you think can be done to get more people to have the type of career that you had? Oh, uh, boy. That's a, that's, a, a, that's a difficult question. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the number of courses has diminished, but only slightly. There's still a lot of turf jobs available. Millennials, I think they have a whole different attitude of staying put. They don't mind moving from one job to another from what I see. So that, that's been a, that's a change. I think it's probably if you find a place that you like and you're well compensated, what, what's happened is I think the compensation has probably stagnated because um, golf hasn't been that prosperous. It used to be you submit a budget and it was like it was automatically approved. Uh, those days are, for the most part, long gone. I think I worked uh, during the zenith of golf, it, uh, both in terms of its popularity and in terms of uh, resources. So if there's if there's less money, there's less opportunity. There's you have less of an ability to make a really good living, at least a really good living for a former farm kid. <laughs> be different than what some of them think. Mm-hmm. So it's probably it's probably not as good as it used to be. Is what I would say. I like the question. I've seen asked of superintendents over the years. You may have asked it yourself. If you had a son, would you recommend to him this business? And that would give me pause because it's not not as easy as it used to be. It's not as I don't think it can be as rewarding as it used to be, but it it, it may be a little less stable, a little less secure than it was for me. A few months ago, you wrote a column for us about some of the technological changes you've seen in the industry and some innovations that have come along. What were some things you were using at the beginning of your career that you never see used on a golf course now? Uh, well, there's a whole lot of them. Given my age, I go back to working at a course here in Madison. Gosh, that would have been the summer of, what, 65, 
I guess, where we actually, it was a course that's on the edge of the University of Wisconsin Arboretum, nice private club, unirrigated fairways. And we, during the dry weather, keep the sprayer full of water in case somebody happened to flick a cigarette, everybody smoked, happened to flick a cigarette and he started a grass fire and it would get loose into the Arboretum. So, I mean, there was no, the irrigation was primitive. Uh, there was no fairway irrigation at that particular course, nice course, still there. And so we've gone from, you know, sort of roller-based sprinklers and Greenbird 808 sprinklers to the irrigation systems, the pump stations also that we've uh, we've got today, and it's that's been pretty pretty dramatic. Uh, we back in that time we would uh, we mowed with pull frames, tractor, farm tractor usually with some, with the tread ground off, or maybe you could actually buy turf tires and use pull frames for both the ferries and the roughs. Um, the summer of '68. I went to the very first Jacobson School for College Students, and we got to see one of three prototypes of a triplex Greensmore. And so we, when I was uh, an undergraduate, we were mowing with walkers. Then we had this exciting uh, possibility of tri triplex mowers. We could ride them and save some labor. Oh, I think uh, there was a Stan Clark had a sand trap rake out. But I came home from the service in 70, and was stunned at all of the triplex greens mowers, the improvements that made in the Cushman trucks, the, the bunker rakes, that sort of thing. So we've kind of, we went that way, and now we're kind of going back to hand raking bunkers and walk mowing greens, but it was quite a dramatic change. I think there's more, uh, nowadays, close track kept of golf courses and pesticide use and all that, that um, sort of thing. Um, in, the, in that time, there wasn't such a thing, but there weren't any materials. Uh, I think when I started, there was thyram, there was dyrene. I remember when Terrasan 1991 came out, it was Benamil. And I look at what's available, even when I was winding up, and what's available now in terms of plant protectants, fungicides. Um, that's a very significant thing. I, the plant growth regulators, of course, is a whole different story. So the changes have been... Uh, very significant. I don't know what anybody's having any more fun playing golf because they were having fun back then, but certainly the courses have uh, radically improved. Really, really excellent. What were you mowing greens and fairways at and tees in 1973? In 1970, well, let's see. I think in, yeah, in 73, I would say uh, we might have started working down a little bit, but three sixteenths to a quarter of an inch is pretty common for a putting green in the late 60s. And I started to move them down a little bit, but not anything like it is nowadays. So if you're talking about putting greens at, say, 3 sixteenths of an inch, right, teens are cut at that now. Mm -hmm. Fairways were, you know, I can remember setting the fairway more down to three-quarters of an inch and thinking, oh, my God almighty, this is really, really short. And, of course, you know, with many years of uh, aerofine, you kind of love smooth fairways out so you can uh, cut them a little bit shorter. But the heights of cut have gone down. Significantly, and of course, back then everybody, all the roughs were cut with uh, with uh, uh, airfield blitzers, they called them, uh, mowers that were real mowers that were originally designed for mowing airfields. And I don't know of anybody that's using those anymore. Pretty much, it's all uh, front rotaries. How did the members change in the 36 years you were at Blackhawk? Did the the was it still this? Is dealing with people still? 
the same or like the same skills that worked for you at the beginning of your, your career worked when you got to the end of your career or did the people you had to deal with on a regular basis completely change? I don't know that it completely changed. I think it got a little more demanding. I think it used to be families would join a club and there'd be the you'd be dealing with the third generation or second generation families, great loyalty to the to the various golf facilities and I think that has faded uh, significantly. In, ter- uh, in fact, the, the Green Committee chairman over there right now is the son of a person who was my Green Committee chairman for probably half a dozen years. So there's still some of that, but mostly the loyalties, I think, have, have diminished. But people still like nice facilities. They like the camaraderie and the friendship that comes from golf, and I don't think that has necessarily changed. I think there's a little, I think there's a little more demand. I think the players are a little more unreasonable than maybe they used to be. You served as the editor of the Wisconsin publication for a long time. Yeah, 24 years. How important of a job skill is writing? Even in this day and age with emails and text messages, how, how important is it to be able to communicate effectively that way? I thought it was important. I actually had no uh, journalism training, but I had an outstanding high school English teacher. And then if you're kind of an independent thinker and, and uh, you use complete sentences with a subject and a verb, use the right tense, that sort of thing, you can write stories. And I always enjoyed it before I did the grassroots. Um, I took honors English when I was a freshman, and that was primarily, uh, it wasn't training to write, but it was, it was nonetheless uh, different than the grammatical stuff. There was less reading and more of putting these thoughts together. So when I became president of the association, I asked Danny Quast, who, bless his heart, got our chapter publication started, if I could work, help him with it, and I eventually took, took care of it. So I think it, I, I thought it was very important to tie this together. I had a goal of every of each year of having every superintendent's name in there for one reason or another. So he became part of our history, whether he had a new baby or got a new job or who knows what, shot a deer during deer hunting season. And um, uh, I just, I really liked it. it. It really was aggravating for my wife. I had the whole dining room table. I had a mess on that almost all the time because, you know, I just you just never get done with it. It's, it's an unending job. I was a principal writer, proofreader, uh, I had to haul the materials down to the printer. That's back in the day when they actually, when you would uh, paste up galley sheets and photograph the sheets and print off of that. So I'd be down there, haul down at Kramer's printing on the east side of town, uh, laying out the magazine and where we're going to put the ads and where we're going to clip this galley and well, where will that fit, so on and so forth. I got to know it very thoroughly. I enjoyed it. Um, somewhat stressful. Had a, My goal was... Um, Every issue was to come out on the first day of the first month of a bi-monthly issue. And I might have missed it once or twice in those 24 years, but pretty much uh, it, was on, it was on time. I always took great pride in that it was a volunteer effort. <clears throat> it's what I, kind of what I did with whatever free time I had. So I thought it was real important. I think it may be a little less important now with all the other opportunities that are available. I mean, it's just, uh, it's incredible. Wisconsin Tripgrass Association seminar 
uh, in like on the 6th of January, and I think um, there will be as many participants who stay at home to distance learning as there are who are physically in the uh, on campus. So the opportunities are great. It's t it's obviously a positive, but I but nonetheless, when I was doing that, Megan, it was called the grassroots. Uh, I I enjoyed it a lot. I had uh, I had a note from we had a, a even interesting story is we had our own cartoonist and uh, Steve Scoville. He he went to uh, Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts. And he was an art major with a specialty in cartooning. Well, he, he married a girl who was a um, biochemistry major. They came, she came here to go to graduate school, he, school. He couldn't get a job in Madison, Wisconsin as a cartoonist, so he got a job as a waiter at Black Hawk Country Club. And I was would walk through the clubhouse every once in a while to the office, and occasionally you'd see these cartoons on a, on a big uh, uh, tripod that had, a, had paper on it. And I remember asking one time, what, what is that? So that's Steve Scoville. He, he's a cartoonist. <laughs> he's a waiter. So I tracked him down, asked him if he wanted to do that for our magazine. And so every month I'd sit down and we'd talk about fast greens or irrigation systems or miserable players or whatever it would be. And for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, he was our uh, a cartoonist. And some of them were just absolutely hilarious. She ended up getting her PhD, and I believe they're in Maine right now. But, uh, and his daughter's going to school here, which is which is interesting. But that's the kind of thing I got out of the grassroots, which made it sort of a unique publication. So this year across the country, we saw a lot of superintendents retire at clubs of all levels, and some even the what people would argue the highest level. When you retired in 2008, what were some things you did to help? Your assistant Chad Grimm, when he started the position, did you do a lot with him early, or did you prepare him for that throughout 2008? Explain how your transition went, and what are some things the retiring superintendent can do to help the incoming superintendent with the job? Well, there may be some who disagree with this, but um, he, he was almost like he was groomed, if unofficially, by me to take over for me. The kid was very talented. Um, he had a he, former farm kid. Um, he had a wonderful work ethic, a great attitude. And so as I got to thinking about retirement, I got to thinking, you know, this could be someone who could replace me. And so I would, you know, casually talk to the Green Committee about it. And so when I retired, I always tell people, and I mean it, it was just seamless. Uh, he didn't have have any steep learning curves. He called me occasionally um, with questions, easy enough. Um, I once in a while when he got a little tight on time, I would I would I always volunteered. I never got paid anything, but I volunteered and I'd go over and mow ferries for him or something like that where I could be not seen. I didn't want the members to think that I was so weak that I didn't have any other interests. I had a lot of other things I wanted to do that I that I just rather than thinking I just had to be at a golf course to be happy. Not true. I had given it my all for all those years, but when I retired, I had a whole, I think the, the, the contemporary phrase is bucket list, a whole bunch of things that I wanted to do. So going from my retirement to his, I think he might have been my assistant for five or six years, um, it was literally seamless. I was, I'm, I live very short distance from there. If he needed, if he had a question or 
some help, I could be over there immediately. He um, uh, maintained those same relationships with the faculty that I had for all those years. So if he had a, uh, a disease problem or an issue, he called Jim Kearns. And, of course, being so close to campus, it was <laughs> you'd have somebody out there real quickly. When I retired, I kind of moved on from that particular place in, 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 uh, of uh, involvement. I didn't divorce myself from golf or anything, but I did more or less from that club. I mean, I still go over there all the time, stop in, say hi, walk in, and of course, within you know two minutes, the insults start. I still know a lot of the guys over there, but I mostly focused on uh, for a few years the Wisconsin Driftgrass Association. I was executive director for that. I fell into that, and then I've had my own bucket list, which has been. We're still working on it, but, boy, we're getting it down there pretty good. What is that first year of retirement like where you don't have to report to a job at the, at the same time every day? Is there a sense of emptiness, or is it a sense of euphoria? It's a sense of euphoria. It was getting, getting up in the morning and doing what I wanted to do. It was, uh, as I've looked back over it's nine years now, wrapped up my ninth year retirement, it's been the best time of my life for both my wife and myself. So for that first year, I had no problem adapting <laughs> because, well, and I, like I said, much like uh, Don Hearn or I think about Jack McKenzie, more or less, going from being a superintendent to I was the executive director of the Wisconsin Turfgrass Association for, for a few years, I think five, five years or six years, <clears throat> half-time job. I set the schedule, did what needed to be done, did not have a supervisor, so I was I'd get up in the morning and I'd had worked out my plan and I might be heading out to uh, central Wisconsin for the day or I might be, um, who knows, planning, uh, redoing some landscaping around my around my house. I mean, it was whatever I wanted to do. That's what Cheryl and I liked the, the most about it. And it's, like I said, it's been uh, the best time of my life. We talk a lot on the phone. You're gracious enough to call down here to, to Cleveland a lot to, to talk and bounce ideas off me, and I've learned so much from speaking with you. A few weeks ago, you made the comment to me that you're as busy in retirement as you were when you were working. Explain what that means, and but it's got to be pretty exciting for you to stay involved and get to do some new things. It's, it, it, it really is. A lot of it has to do with this, this freedom that we're not used to, and um, now, you, now you have it. I, I, I have because of this. <laughs> anchoring for involvement. I now belong to the Veterans of Foreign War, VFW, VFW Post 8216. There are activities involved there. I was a good Christian boy. I went to church, Sunday school, confirmation. Uh, even when I was growing up on a farm, we got our chores done and we got moving and we were sitting uh, in the same pew every Sunday for as long as I can remember. And, and uh, they're early. So, but I was, had so much ignorance, so I've taken uh, an intensive Bible study class for a year. Uh, I've visited all 50 states now, which was on my list of things to do. Been to all but one presidential grave site. That's LBJ. He's kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. Go to New England every fall. Uh, I go to the state fair, which I did as a kid. Now I can do that. We do that. I go to the Masters every year. We try to go to the U.S. Open when it's within a reasonable distance, but I've been to as far as Torrey Pines and, of course, Pinehurst, Aaron Hills, a lot of these other uh, venues, which is a, a lot of fun. I have six grandchildren, and if anybody, they're nothing but 
pure joy from one we got one going going to college to clear down to one who's four. Three boys, three girls. Concerts, athletic events, uh, just all kinds of activities that kids are in that uh, my wife and I are pretty much can be counted on to be there. Two of them live close. Four of them live up, live up in Minneapolis, but good grief, that's an easy drive. It's four lanes the whole way. So we can scoot up there in four hours and stay overnight or stay two nights or we've seen everything there is to see in Minneapolis as well. Um, I have a, a, a hobby of genealogy, and um, I've been collecting material for, well, pretty much my whole life. So I've set up a banquet table in my basement. It's right in front of my four file cabinets. And I've started the process of synthesizing all of that information I have, putting together in a readable form. My youngest daughter is a geneticist, so she's helping with family trees and all that kind of stuff. And that takes a fair amount of time, and that's sort of a, uh, you know, something you have to use your mind and, and um, think about it. So, and yet, and yet I get to do, do, do the writing, <laughs> trace the, the Monroe's, back to about 1100 and more than 10, 10 generations back in Norway. My wife and I took two extended trips to Europe. She's half Swedish. Um, and so we went to Cornwall. My grandma was a full-blooded Cornish person. We went to Scotland, stayed in St. Andrews for three nights, went up to Inverness. Uh, while I was close by, we went to Dordic, where Donald Ross was buried. Um, we've been to Germany. And we take our oldest daughter uh, because she's a linguist, and she lived in Europe for a couple of years. So we can really focus on on uh, the family things, and um, she worries about hotels and food and driving and driving on, on the wrong side of the road in uh, England and Cornwall and Scotland. So now it's time to synthesize all that material, and, and uh, it's one of those things you wonder about this person or that person. You tug on a little thread, and man, he's been two days trying to track that information on what ship did they come on, how did they get here, how did they get to Wisconsin, so on and so forth. But that that takes a lot of time, and it's, and it's a lot of fun. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing. Every day is every day is, uh, Saturday is what I say. You get up and you do whatever you want. And we have a nice blend. Of, we, we never miss a Badger football game and not very many basketball games. We have those season's tickets. We've got a pretty good women's volleyball team this year. So Badger sports are very interesting. You can audit in Wisconsin. You can audit a class at the University of Wisconsin-Madison if you're, if you're retired, I think probably over 65. So there's there's a whole bunch of things, that uh, classes that we want to take, primarily history. I've been studying the military history of my family. We go back to my mother was a member of the DAR through two grandparents. And so we've tracked all those people down. Uh, there have been family members in the American Revolution, obviously, War of 1812, uh, First World War, Second World War, and then Vietnam. My dad's brother was killed over there. We went to see where he was buried at Ypanol, France, before he was exhumed and brought back. So all these things you thought about when you're working and even going back as far as when I was a kid, finally we get a chance to do them, both pretty healthy, and get up every day pretty happy, very happy, and move on to whatever's next on that list. <laughs> so, so in the last 20 years, the state you were born and bred in has hosted two U.S. Women's Opens, 
two PGA championships, a U.S. amateur, a U.S. senior open, and then earlier this year, a U.S. open. How incredible has that been for somebody that's spent his entire life in Wisconsin golf? And how much pride have you had in seeing these gigantic golf events come to your state and a Ryder Cup's coming too in a few years? Yeah, the Ryder Cup's going to be here. Most people, I suspect, think Wisconsin is some sort of a backwater because uh, they're not on the East Coast or the West Coast. Backwater of golf until you get here. And I hope you get a chance to go up to Sand Valley sometime. That's, a, that's the latest one. Um, uh, yeah, I'll weasel my way into that trip somehow, I think. Somehow or other, we got, I, I know a guy who works up there, so um, I'm pretty sure we can, that can be made to happen. You can do it on your own, though, I'm, I know that. So there's just been so much of that exciting golf, and we got the AmFam uh, uh, Champions Tournament here in town. Uh, it's just been wonderful opportunities because then you can go play those courses that the best players in the world have taken a taken a shot at. It's the greatest entertainment you can imagine. I, I just can't I can't tell you enough of, of uh, what what fun it is. What was the U.S. Open like? What was that like for you, somebody that's played a vital role in helping golf in Wisconsin? Uh, how cool was it to to walk the course at Aaron Hills and see that event finally come to your state? Well, that you know that. Guys at at uh, Aaron Hills and then Mike, Mike Lee from uh, the Kohler courses are UW Madison turf grads, so you can imagine the amount of pride I felt in those kids. And um, you just can't believe what you're seeing if you stand at a, at, at a certain vantage point at Aaron Hills and look up, and there's Holy Hill and the twin twin uh, steeples, and look across the way, and there's your son-in-law is a PGA Tour caddy, he's caddying, and then you look over and there's Ernie Els or there's uh, uh, Jordan Speed. I mean, it, 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 it gives you a feeling of enormous pride, and, and because I've kind of been involved in all these years, I, Mike Lee started working at Blackhawk Country Club when he was 14, if you can imagine, and got his degree and went on to, to do all those scroller courses. They're still thinking of building on, another one. Um, down south of the existing courses. So I've, it, it's just been wonderful. It's wonderful entertainment. It's in the sports pages. You get to see these greatest players in the world. You see your own kids managing these things with, with great professionalism and doing a wonderful job. It's fun to see all of the Toro equipment. You know, at one point in time, we had, I made a, it was a grassroots article I wrote. Actually, it was a, had a cover on it. it. used to be Toro courses up in Toma. Toro equipment's made in Wisconsin. Jacobson was down in uh, Racine before they moved south, but at that time Jacobson was in, Jacobson was in Racine. John Deere, um, uh, they were in the old Van Brunt plant uh, in uh, eastern Wisconsin where they made their turf equipment. They make the gators there now, and I imagine some rotary mowers. We had Toro up in Toma. You had uh, Smith go up north. We made most of the turf equipment used on golf courses right here in Wisconsin. This backwater state, so it, it it's just been wonderful. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to see these things. There are stories that get written about them. It, 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 they're just accents to a pretty terrific career. Last thing, Monroe. If uh, somebody younger in this business approached you and said, "What do I need to know to succeed in it?" What would you tell them? The uh, traits and characteristics needed are. 
optimist. Uh, you have to put good value on education. You absolutely have to have a formidable work ethic. It's a lot of work. It isn't all shovels and rakes, but it's still a lot of work sitting behind a desk. You need to have good people skills. And I think if you put all those things, blend all those together, you at least have uh, the ingredients to, to being successful. Well, Monroe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for everything you've done for GCI. But more importantly, thank you for everything you've done for the industry. I think you kind of capture that badger spirit of helping people out and being friendly and affable and knowing how to handle difficult times. So we really enjoyed speaking with you on the podcast. And even though you wrote your last regular piece for GCI, I don't think our readers have seen the last from you in our pages. I know you're going to come up with a good idea and send it down to me, right? I'm, I, I may well do that. <laughs> it's been my pleasure, honestly. I, I think the world of all you guys down there, Pat. And I first met Pat when he was uh, a young kid, first started at GCSAA. And uh, he didn't even have a mustache back then. <laughs> <laughs> But, it, but I, I immediately liked that kid. I've, I've enjoyed his career. Mike, Mike's wacky, outstanding guy. And then you and your enthusiasm and your writing abilities and your real love of the profession, I, I just think the world of all of you. It's been my privilege to do that. It's just time for me to do something else.